everybody. Welcome into Farmcast for the Community. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Brown, sponsored by the University of Georgia's College of Pharmacy. We had a really great year last year. Huge amount of viewers, really great feedback, and we're going to continue with topics that we think are timely for the community. So much so that I was pondering how to start this academic year, and I realized during our hiatus over the summer, there were several things that happened that had profound impact on our community members and our patients. And because of that, as pharmacist, I thought it might be a good time to review Dr. Rebecca Stone's podcast from last year. She did a really wonderful job talking about women's health with regard to contraception, how you use it, the options that are out there, the side effects, how well it works. She even talks about what we call the morning after pill sometimes, or emergency contraception. Access to who should get it, who can get it, and the timeline that can be used. I can think of no better time than to review this. I can think of no better episode. That's the perfect one to start this academic year to keep the community informed of your options when it comes to contraception. I will tell you the second episode this year will be on monkeypox. I'm working with a physician pharmacist as we talk today, trying to put that together and bring you some information on the vaccine, incidents that's in the Southeast part of the United States, as well as who should be concerned about contracting this. Also, what happens if you do contract it? So stay with me and listen to this podcast from Dr. Rebecca Stone. She does a very nice job. And then tune back in on the second episode of Monkeypox. I'm looking forward to another wonderful year talking to you and keeping the community informed. Without you, we can't do this. And we do this for you. Thanks so much. See you soon. And I appreciate you tuning back in for this academic year of Farmcast for the community. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. It's Tim Brown, your host of Farmcast for the community. Once again, we're putting on a show for you that hits some of the topics that are heavy in the media, but also pertain to your everyday lives. But before we get to this month's episode, I want to remind you that next month I'm talking to Dr. Eileen Kennedy. She has a PhD in neurosciences and deals a lot with Parkinson's disease. Matter of fact, she's a premier scientist and researcher on the topic. She's going to come on and talk to us about some of the newer drugs we're using today for Parkinson's disease and catch us up on the research. So if anyone you know is suffering from Parkinson's disease or you want some tidbits, please listen in next month. Now, before we get to April, we have to talk about March. And March really deals a great deal with empowerment of women. And as you know, we've celebrated some pretty amazing days lately with International um, Women's Day. There's been a lot of discussion about powerful women moving through the political arena. And I have a powerful woman joining me today. <laughs> I have someone who comes on board talking about contraception or birth control. Dr. Rebecca Stone is a certified ambulatory care pharmacist, board certified, BCACP for those of you who don't know about pharmacists getting board certified, but pharmacists actually can take boards and become experts in various areas of practice. Ambulatory care or outpatient care is one of them. She's also a pharmacotherapy specialist with over 10 years of clinical practice experience, a clinical associate professor here at UGA's College of Pharmacy, and has done a great deal of research and teaching when it comes to women's health in particular, contraception or birth control. Hello, Dr. Stone. How are you? Hello. I'm great, Tim. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries. Did you like that big introduction? I did. It sounded very fancy. See, see, I'm trying to let people know that how much you bring to the table here because <laughs> this topic has really, it's been a big discussion lately. Some because of Roe versus Wade, some because of what Texas has done with laws they've passed there. Birth control has been a big discussion, access to birth control. I thought this would be a wonderful time during this Women's Health Month, and really when we're looking at the empowering of women, to talk about the different options of birth control, because, man, this field of medications and drugs, it's exploded with other devices, various aspects, and also 
I think women have more choices than ever when it comes to the contraception they like to use. Do you mind sort of catching us up a little bit and talking about the different types of contraception that are out there? So we're all kind of talking from the same page. Yeah, yeah. And Tim, you know, you mentioned current events. I also want to throw out, you know, Georgia just approved some laws that make it harder for women to get medical abortions in Georgia, which I think is another reason that it's really important we talk about access to contraceptive methods to try and reduce unintended pregnancy. So yeah, your question. So list all the options. So I'm going to do sort of a broad overview here at the beginning, and I think we'll talk more about them as the show goes on. Okay. But the, the most effective methods are the ones, I start from most effective to least effective. The most effective ones are the ones where patients really don't have to do anything with them once they get them. So those are IUDs and the arm implant. And there's a couple of different kinds of IUDs. There's kinds that are just copper. They don't have any medicine in them at all. The copper is what provides the contraception. And then there's kinds that have a progestin in them. And there are several different doses of those. And then the arm implants, a little rod that goes in the, the woman's arm and stays there. Um, it's good for up to three years. IUDs are good for anywhere three to 10 years. And so these products, highly effective, they're placed, and then generally the patient doesn't have to do anything with them until it's time to switch them out for something new or time to take them out and get pregnant or not get pregnant. <laughs> so, you know, along those lines, so the implantable one makes sense to me, it goes in the arm. IUDs, where do those get implanted? Yes, good question. So they're not implanted, they're placed. So you insert it through the vagina, through the cervical opening, which is, you know, is the opening where um, the sperm would travel through to meet the egg or where a baby would come through to be born. And they just sit in the uterus, just like a, the same spot about where a baby would sit in the uterus. So being a man, and as we've seen in TikTok, how men are completely ignorant at times to what women <laughs> have to go through, does it hurt to, to do an IUD placement? It can be uncomfortable. Um, typically, they recommend using uh, an NSAID, so a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen before, oh. um, but it doesn't require anesthesia or any other type of like cervical block or numbing agent. After the IUD is placed, you can experience some cramping and maybe bleeding, but you can drive yourself home for the most part and you know go about your day. Um, it's different. So a lot of times women who've had children, you know, they may have less discomfort with the insertion of an IUD than somebody who's never had kids before, just because that cervical opening might have already been, you know, dilated in the past through childbirth. So with that said, I mean, you know, talking to the folks in the community and what's going on, if you go through that, I don't want to say small amount of pain, because no pain is small, but you go through that inconvenience, then you have birth control or contraception that you don't have to worry about every day. It just does the job for you and you do regular checkups. And the same with the, with the arm, how long does the arm usually last? The one that goes in the arm? Three years. So three years for the shortest IUD, three years for the arm implant. And with the IUDs, most of them, you'll either have reduced or no period during that time. So not only do you have birth control, but for a lot of women, you won't have a period. Um, and then the other drug I, releasing IUDs are five years. And then the Paragard that doesn't have any drug in it, it's good for up to 10 years. That's the copper one, right? Copper one. Yep. So you, you talked it. about no periods. One of the things that I've been reading about and has been coming, I think, in discussions a lot about women's health has birth control. You talked about most effective to least effective. Where does oral birth control fit? The one I have to remember to, well, not me, but people have to remember <laughs> to take every day. 
Yeah, it's kind of in the middle. And so, you know, let's come back to the period part. I want to put a pin in that, but I want to get through the rest of the agents first, just kind of set the stage, and then we'll circle to that concept. So the most effective options we just ran in through, IUDs and arm implants, have them placed and then don't worry about them. The injectable is the next most effective method. So it's a shot, it's called Depo-Provera. You get uh, one shot every three months and it just sits under your skin in a little depot and releases birth control as needed throughout that three month period. The next most effective options are a group, a cluster. So it's the birth control pill, the patch and the ring. They're all equally effective. Got it. So the pill patch and ring um, have a failure rate of about 7%. Okay, so 93% so effective. Yes. I'll make it po- I'll make it a positive turn. Yes, so that's 93 positive. Yeah, yeah. So if a hundred people take uh, the birth control pill, patch, or ring, about seven people will get pregnant in a year with typical use, and 93 people won't get pregnant. So other numbers uh, for the other agents we just listed for the shot, 96 wouldn't get pregnant, four would. And for the IUDs and arm implants, less than one person gets pregnant out of every hundred per year. So the hormonal methods, pill, patch, and ring, they all have both progestin and estrogen in them, and they all have approximately the same efficacy. And then after that, you get to the, um, the, the methods that aren't drugs, that aren't systemic. So barrier methods like condoms, spermicides, diaphragms, things like that. I think on this show today, we're mostly going to talk about the more effective options that are systemic in the body that have some type of drug in them. Yeah, I prefer to do that because I think that's the area that a lot of people are focusing on. And also the amount of choices that are out there now. I mean, even what you just talked about in the pill, ring, or patch. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to talk about the ring real quick. That's okay. What's the brand name for the ring that is used for birth control? Yeah, there are two rings. There's the Nuva ring and it has 30 days of drug in it. And then there's Anovera. It has a year's worth of drug in it. Anovera is new. It's new to the market. And so for both of these rings, you put them in the vagina. So they don't go through the cervix into the uterus like an IUD. So they're kind of different in how invasive they are, which is why you can just do the ring at home, but you have to have a doctor place an IUD. So you put that ring in just like you would a tampon. And actually, especially for Nuva ring, it looks like a little jelly bracelet. I tell people to take a clean tampon applicator and take the tampon out and just put the ring in there and you can use that to insert it. It goes in just like a tampon. Um, and so those two rings, you know, the Nuva ring, it's, you get a new ring every 30 days, whereas the Anovera, you put the ring in for three to four weeks and then you take it out and save it and then just rinse it off and put it back in again. So you don't have to go back to the pharmacy to get your prescriptions. It's just one ring for the whole year. Wow. Okay. So what happens if the, I mean, to me, I'm thinking, okay, what happens if the ring comes out? I think I would freak out about that. So is the ring, can you just put it back in? Are there times the ring should stay out? I mean, you talked about the Anavera coming out. Do you leave it out for a certain period of time? Yes. So what people call a standard cycle is a 28 day cycle. So three weeks of drug with no period, and then one week where there's no drug. And typically women have their period during that time. Got it. So for Anavera, you can put it in for three weeks and then out for one week. Um, that's the standard way. The off-label use is to just leave it in and never have a period. So I'm going to talk about that in a second. So off-label guys means the FDA doesn't say that it can happen, although people will prescribe it that way. You'll see a lot of providers. We'll talk about that in a second. 
Let's go to the patch real quick, because that's the one that got a lot of discussion when it first came out, because it's one of the first times we weren't injecting or taking a pill or putting something into the body. We were sticking it to the body. How many patches are on the market? So there's two. There's Zulane and Twirla. And Twirla's the new patch. It okay. just came out in the last like two years. And they're very similar. They just have slightly different technology within the patch to help it stick and absorb. And those, the patches are once a week. And so again, for most people for a standard cycle, they put on a new patch and change it once a week for three weeks. And then they do one week with no patch when they have their period. So I get, okay. So here's the other question. Is there I, I know that sometimes not all drugs are for everybody. So can the patch be used by everybody or are there people that probably shouldn't use the patch because it doesn't, it's not as effective? Well, it's interesting. The patch got called out and said it's just not as useful in women who are overweight, but it's not any different than the ring or the pill. Got it. It just particularly, it carries that nuanced label and it's not contraindicated. I mean, you can use it in people who are heavy, but pretty much all of these hormonal contraceptive methods um, there is some concern that in women with higher BMIs, they may not be as effective. So you, it's really a great conversation to have with your OBGYN, your primary care person about what fits for you. Um, and then also based on your weight and your body habits, what works. I like that idea too. It's very specific to the person. I want to go back to what you just said about off-label use of the ring where we stop periods and also the IUDs, no, birth control pills. Talk about a group of pills that have evolved since the 1950s and 60s when they were invented to today. There, there's a huge change from the original birth control pill to what we see today, correct? Yes. So the original birth control pill had a lot higher doses of drug in it, both of the, the estrogen and the progestin component. And also there are two kinds of pills. So we, Tim, in a minute, we're going to need to talk about what's in things, estrogen, Okay. And progestin or just progestin. But so the pill can be either estrogen and progestin or just progestin, which is called the mini pill. Both of those pills, uh, the dose has decreased significantly over the years because what we figured out was it doesn't make it provide uh, any contraception any better. So it doesn't work better, but they cause more side effects. So they've slowly dialed the dose back and back to try and get a product that doesn't have side effects. As you know, sometimes women will complain about feeling bloated or mood swings um, Acne, you know, gaining right. weight. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I've yep. heard from. Yeah. My friends. Yeah. Yep. So low, a lower dose decreases the potential incidence of those side effects and it still works just as well. You know, I guess working in women's health as you do, is there a certain oral contraceptive or contraceptives you find that are the most popular among women? Are they usually the lower dose ones or is there, <gasps> it's kind of up in the air, depending on who you are. I sigh because there's so many. If you ever go in a pharmacy yes. them, there are so many pills. You know, I, I liken this a little bit to cough medicines. When you go to the cough medicine aisle, they have every formulation, every which away, all of the same thing. And really one of them isn't better than the other. It's just all different types. And some people might prefer one product over the other because how it's delivered or, or how it's used. But, you know, Cochrane reviews, which are um, big systematic reviews we do a lot of times in medicine to determine if you know products are equivalent to each other, have shown really that there isn't a one birth control pill that's better than the others. So a lot of it just comes down to what's important to you and what works best for you. Now, usually when people start a pill, I know you're about to say something, Tim, but just real quick. No, no, no. Usually, Go ahead. Usually before patients start a pill, 
when they start a pill, I recommend a monophasic. So it's the same amount of drug every day. They have other pills, for example, that are like triphasic where the, the drug dose goes up a little bit each week. So, <laughs> now, you know, you're confusing the heck out of me right now. So monophasic, <laughs> my, my brain's going to explode. So monophasic is the same dose all month long, but um, triphasic, the doses change and move depending on the week you take the pill and your little, the packet, the, the thing, right? Yes, Holy exactly. Cow. And I found, and uh, generally uh, experts agree that sometimes, you know, when you're changing the dose, it can uh, aggravate mood swings and such. So usually when we start, people will just keep it simple. Start with a monophasic, same dose every day. Usually I pick one kind of in the middle. So you talked about low dose. There's ultra low dose, which is 10 micrograms of estrogen. And then there's regular low dose. So we call it almost everything low dose now because of how it's evolved from the sixties. Like we were just talking about regular low dose is like 20 to 35 micrograms. And then there's also a 50 microgram pill, which is rarely used. It's the highest dose that's available today, still a lot lower than the dose was in the sixties. Um, but it's usually used for people who are maybe having breakthrough bleeding with the more moderate dose, or they have drugs that interact that maybe degrade the birth control a little bit. And so you need a higher dose perhaps to try and circumvent that drug interaction. So generally start in the middle, 20 to 35 micrograms of estrogen with a monophasic pill, and then go from there. If you have problems with that, you know, adjust based on what your symptoms are and, um, switch pill formulations based on that information. Okay, so that brings the question. You talked about estrogens and you said the other component was progesterone. How many different types of, I know the estrogens are very similar. Well, I want to talk about a new estrogen in a second, but there are different progesterones in these pills, right? Okay, yes. So this is a point that I really try and drive home with our pharmacy students, okay? So all, it's not, it's not progesterones because those are natural in our body. Birth control has progestins. They're all synthetic. So every single birth control that has medicine in it has progestin. Progestin is what is contracepting. I call it the workhorse of contraception. It is what's doing the work. The, the IUDs that have drug, the arm implants that have drug, the shot, the pill, the patch, the ring, everything, they've got progestins. Got it. Now, some of those medicines also have estrogens in them. Um, so usually a thinyl estradiol. The only things that have estrogen are the pill, patch, and ring. And estrogen doesn't do much contracepting, but what it does is keep your menstrual cycle just in that one week. It keeps you from having any breakthrough bleeding and spotting. So those other progestin only products, women will often have breakthrough bleeding and spotting, which is sometimes considered undesirable. So when they made these other products, they put estrogen in them to keep that from happening. But estrogen introduces some other some other benefits and some other side effects. So some women can't take estrogen, but some women like to take it because it helps with the acne that you mentioned before. Yeah. Um, and it can help again, control the menstrual cycle, which some women really strongly prefer. So those are the two main categories. Everything's got progestin, pill patch ring has estrogen layered in on top too. And then to your question, yes, there are about a dozen different types of progestins. And so, they're kind of like fruit. The dose is a little bit different. If you take five blueberries, it is not the equivalent to five watermelons. So the dose between those are not the same, but we have dose equivalent. So it's all about the same amount of drug. The progestin molecules are just a little bit different, if that makes sense. Okay. So all the, so when we talk about 
oral contraception, the ones that have estrogen and progesterone or progestin in them, they're combination pills. You talked a little bit about side effects. Is it fair to say that, let's say you start a birth control or one that's a combination and you get acne or you have breakthrough bleeding, how long should you stay on that one before you sort of circle back to your provider and go, this one isn't working for me. Here are my symptoms. Can you move the dosing around a little bit on either side? How long should someone give a birth control a chance? We generally say three to six months. Okay. So we want to, I mean, three months is a good rule of thumb. Now, if the side effects are severe and you're just, you know, definitely not tolerating it, don't wait. But, you know, if it's a, an annoyance, wait it out for a couple months and see if it can improve um, over the course of three months. Got it. Now, you, I, I want to circle back to this because I find this amazing to me. And I, and my friends who uh, use birth control talk about how this has been wonderful. They no longer take a week off and they take their birth control every day and do not have any menstrual cycles at all. And they love that aspect to it. I have a couple other friends who's like, no, I'd like to stop out every three months with a week off. Is that okay that people have different ways to take the birth control, the oral birth control, the fact that some do three months, some do a year. Is it okay to do that? Absolutely. There are no negative health implications that stem from not having a period. Some women like to have a period every month because that's their like reminder, not reminder, confirmation that they're not pregnant. They want to see it. Other women are like, heck no, <laughs> I get headaches <laughs> and bloating and all kinds of things. I don't want a period. And then some women do it every three months. There, are, Again, there are, there's no right or wrong. There are no health implications. A lot of times people say, well, what happens to, does it just build up inside of me? So let's talk about how it works for a second. This is a little technical, so I'm going to try and keep it as concise as possible. Okay. So basically, progestin thins out the endometrial lining right? Makes hey, it thin. And for those of us on the outside looking in. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going there, Tim. Okay. All right. <laughs> the endometrial lining is what's inside the uterus. It's the lining of the uterus. And once a month, when your hormones change with your cycle, that endometrial lining all sloughs off and comes out as your period. Okay. The lining builds up getting ready for the, for in case a fetus is implanted. So it has almost like a little bed to rest in, right? That's what a zygote. Yep. Okay. A, a, a zygote, a sperm zygote. and egg fused together implants into the endometrial lining. It's a soft little pillowy bed. And so if that happens, then it stays fluffy and the pregnancy keeps going. And if that doesn't happen, you have a drop in estrogen and all that endometrial lining sheds off and you start the cycle again. And that shedding of the endometrial lining is the period. Got it. Now, lots of people take birth control because it makes their periods lighter. And that's because progestins thin the endometrial lining. So there's not as much to slough off. Yes, exactly. And so like for some of the, uh, like, for example, the IUDs, those women at uh, the, the higher doses, like Mirena, for example, women who use that more than half of them never have a period because the drug is right there at the uterus and it works so well, the endometrial lining just becomes so light. There's nothing to shed. Now with the pill patch and ring that estrogen kind of helps fluff it up. And then when you take the estrogen away for that week, when you're off medicine, that causes the menstrual cycle. So if you just keep taking it continuously and you never take it away, then you don't have the period. 
And the progestin continues to kind of thin that lining a little bit. And it's not like it builds up and you know, so I've heard women say like, well, will it be dirty? Will it get backed up in there? No, it doesn't. The endometrial lining just kind of continues to thin with the progestin and um, you continue on without your period. So we were talking about off-label use, right. the patch and the ring aren't FDA approved for continuous use, but they have the same medicines in them that the pill does. You can use them continuously. Then the pill, they have some ones that are approved by the FDA for exactly what you said, for a three-month uh, window or, um, oh, this name's escaping me right now. Um, I apologize. I can't remember the year-long one's That's brand okay. name, but the one that lasts for a year, it's, it's a pill formulated that gives you 12 months without a placebo week for that exact purpose. So this is, I think, fascinating because when I hear some people talk, they have pretty rough menstrual cycles like mm -hmm. PMS or cramping, if you do this, does it minimize that discomfort every month that, that someone may be feeling? So this actually, not only is it birth control, but it could also make your life less painful in a roundabout <laughs> way. I mean, yeah, one of my friends, I mean, I, I've seen people suffer through this and it is not a laugh. I mean, these folks go through some heck during the, during the month. Yeah. For some women, yeah, not have just removing that menstrual cycle and the hormone changes that are associated with that prevents a lot of those problems that they have around menses. So again, headache is common, bloating, fatigue, and then cramping. So just not having a menstrual cycle, yeah, can eliminate that for a lot of women. And then the other thing, there are pill packs where instead of um, having a seven day placebo week, right? Seven days of no pill. They only have four days of no pill just to shorten it. And that can also help. So sometimes people who still want to have a period will try that method instead of the, it's called extended cycle right. when you go three months and then have a period. And it's called continuous. If it's just, all the way through. Know, I think what year. amazes me about all this is the number of choices that yes. women have. So how is, I mean, are certain ones of these, how do I say this? Can women have access to all these or are some more accessible than others? Like how do people kind of get to this point where they figure out which one they want to use? And then to your point of our discussion, let's say they decide to use an IUD. Which one do they use? Or they want to use a birth control pill. Which one do I use? Or which Nuva ring? Or I'm sorry, which ring? Which pack? There's not as it the way we do it, but within inside that, you've got to figure out <laughs> which are the products that you want. That cannot be an, a 15 minute appointment. That's got to take some time with whomever. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, and so, I mean, yes, there are many, many choices. And so I encourage people like both do your homework at home and then also talk to your provider and ask lots of questions. Often people end up getting what their friends use or what their provider recommends. And, you know, of course, providers will have things that they like or that people tend to respond well to, and they may suggest those over others, but everything is so specialized. So some of the things that I think about, so there's two parts with birth control. There are the contraceptive benefits. So how effective is it at preventing pregnancy? If you absolutely don't want to get pregnant, and you can't, maybe you have a medical condition, you know, where pregnancy would be harmful for you and the baby. You should probably get an IUD or an arm plant that has a less than 1% failure rate. If you're like, I don't really want a kid, but if it happened, it would be okay. Well, yeah, maybe then, you know, the birth control pill with a 7% failure rate is a great choice for you. So first thinking about how effective is the contraception side. And then the second part is the non-contraceptive benefits and kind of what you want. So do you want to have a period? 
that's a choice that you get to make. So, you know, deciding, do you want to have a period? Do you have problems with heavy bleeding or with uh, menstrual related migraines? You know, if so, certain medications may help you address those. Okay. If you have bad acne or PCOS, you know, certain types of birth control can address those. So thinking about what are the non-contraceptive benefits that work well for me? And so the key, the key things that I tell people is think about, do you want a period or not? And then think about, um, you know, maybe acne a little bit and then other side effects related to birth control. So other potential side effects, some people just don't tolerate estrogen very well. It can make them more nauseous, um, feel more bloated, et cetera. So if you, if you have problems with certain birth controls, of course, that's a reason to sure, not sure. use them. Yeah. So there's kind of, do I want to take a pill every day? Or <laughs> yeah. do, do I want to have to worry about taking the ring in and out? Do I want, you know, do I want people to see the patch when I'm at the pool during the summer? I, I'm sort of thinking about all those. So how and do I think, Tim, I think a provider who's worth their salt will ask you about the things that you want and then present you with the options that might help meet those needs right. and then right. discuss those with you and help you decide the patient, the patient decide which one is the right fit for them. So we know that it's not a perfect world. Not everybody has great insurance. Not everybody can take off a half a day and make a primary care appointment. Let's face reality between childcare, work, transportation mm -hmm. issues. Shoot, just the cost these days of getting somewhere. Tell me some of the places that women can access birth control. Any one of these, like where are some common places that, I don't know, they cater to women, if you will, to, to make this an easier process. So the Department of Public Health is a great resource, and there's one located in all 153 counties in Georgia. I think I'm right on that. Ooh, I might be a couple off on my county. I'm going to be embarrassed if I am. But <laughs> every county in Georgia has a Department of Public Health, and they usually have a pretty broad range of the contraceptive options. Now, there's, a, I think it's the Choice, Contraceptive Choice, Georgia. Anyway, there are certain counties that don't have access to all options. So I know that there are a couple of health departments out there that don't offer everything, but at a minimum, they're a great starting point. They're usually sliding scale. There's one in every county. They're a really great resource. Okay. Planned Parenthoods are also great resources, but Georgia only has a handful of those in the state. So those may not be immediately accessible to, to you. Um, but the Department of Public Health, you know, again, very accessible. And then also, you know, primary care, Physicians, of course, doctor's offices are going to be able to help if you have an existing relationship with your prescriber. And then it's not in Georgia yet, but I am hopeful that in the coming years, Georgia will allow pharmacists to prescribe birth controls. There are 17 other states that currently allow it. I think that it's coming. It's just sort of a matter of when. And that will greatly expand wow. the number of places where people can get birth control. Yeah, that's a good point because if you but it's not the arm implant or the IUD. So the, the drawback to that, it will expand a lot of access points, but not for all the options. Not for all the options, but still the accessibility would be there. And then you have this medication expert kind of guiding you a little bit about if, if the IUD is better for you to get you somewhere it might work. I like that idea a lot. Well, what pharmacists can be the bridge, right? Yeah, they can yeah. be the pill to get you until you can go to the doctor and get your IUD. I mean, I feel like there are few to no drawbacks to increasing access points, even no. if they didn't offer the whole suite of services. And you're, you're, you're highlighting a medical professional whose job is to help people find the right medication that suits them. I mean, what better, what better person to talk about birth control, um, especially in areas where it's hard to get somewhere because there's a pharmacy everywhere these days. 
I want to ask one quick question. I saw a couple of online references where women can actually go online, choose birth control, those things as well. Do you advocate for those or does that work for some women? Is it better to, to start out with a provider and then refill on those? How does that work for a lot of people to trust those or not trust them? Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, this goes right back to what I said before. I think increasing access points is never a bad thing. And mail order is another way or online ordering is another way to do that. Now, one of the things that we didn't really get into when we talked about it is that progestin, there are very few contraindications. It's really safe. Pretty much anybody can take it unless they have active cancer in their breast or um, uterine, you know, genital areas. Um, and that's because those hormone sensitive cancers could potentially be fed by additional hormones, yeah. but that's it. Everybody else can take them. The estrogen containing products, there are more contraindications. So estrogen slightly increases the risk of blood clots. So people who are at high risk for stroke or heart attack, you've had blood clots in the past. Um, and then certain other conditions, really estrogen is not good for them. Yeah, they're so, smokers, right? I mean, yeah, smokers. Yeah, that's a, that's a good that point. increase your risk of um, heart attack and stroke. Yeah. I, and I know there's, and I know online you fill out the profile you that sometimes people aren't as honest as they should be. So it's really important to be upfront with the pharmacist you're talking to or that online. So the accessibility, so people then can shoot, that's a really good point, Dr. Stone, that because sometimes I don't want to tell you that, you know, I sneak a cigarette every now and then, or <laughs> maybe I don't work out as much as people think I do, or those, you know, yeah. I would never think to bring that up to my pharmacist that I had a blood clot five years ago because I was on an airplane or something. That's a, I didn't even think about that. And for example, with pharmacist prescribed contraception, the states that allow that, they have this um, checklist and they've found, studies have shown that women can self-screen with that checklist just as effectively as their doctors can. Um, online, I think that most of those platforms use a similar tool or have a person chatting with the, the individual to help gather that information as well. And I feel like as online, as long as, you know, people are forthcoming and going through that screening process, then, you know, the more ways we can access and distribute birth control, the better. Yes. Sometimes people like to talk to a person and I think pharmacists are good at that. We're chatty people. <laughs> I agree. I mean, look at us. I mean, we'll talk to a stop sign if it stands still long enough. Um, you know, your point is well taken. And I think for me, it's the honesty factor, right? Don't be afraid to, to on those forms, fill out everything because it will help you find the right method of birth control if one fits. That does drive me to another question. At what age can a young lady seek birth control without the approval of her parents? I know it changes, but where I used to practice, it was a little bit different where um, women were allowed to come into medical appointments by themselves, certain things, but there was a certain age, which that was, I don't know what the right word would be, legally acceptable, if you will. In Georgia, there's not an age. So you're, you can receive medical care and it's considered unethical for the provider to alert your parents. So, you know, any teen, um, there is no age limit. If it's family planning services like contraception, then there are no reporting requirements. Abortion is different. If you're a minor, then the uh, parent or guardian has to be informed of abortion at least 24 hours in advance. And I will admit, I am not an expert on all of the abortion law, um, but that is my understanding of it at this time. Um, but contraception, no, there are no age limits, which I think is a really great thing. And they're actually, they're teen matters clinics here in Georgia where they're embedded within the high school to try and help provide a resource that offers family planning, you know, in a safe space where um, teens feel comfortable getting that information. So 
if you're looking online or you're looking at access to care, if, the, if we do get that access here in Georgia, any, any young lady could walk in and fill out without fear of, I guess, alerting a parent or alerting someone else. It's all about their health care, right? So they have access. That's the Georgia law. I'm, I'm asking that question because one of the discussions that has come up over the years, especially access to, has been something called emergency contraception. And I've heard a lot of college students, um, teenage young ladies, talk about the fact that they walk into any drugstore and they can get emergency contraception. They would prefer not to do that. They would prefer to have access to everyday contraception. What's the difference between everyday contraception, excuse that term, everyday contraception versus emergency sounds so horrible. It sounds bad. Yeah, I call it ongoing contraception instead of every day, but yeah, it's called a variety of things. And then emergency contraception um, works very similarly to birth control. So emergency contraception is done with uh, one of three medicines. The first is the copper IUD, which you're not going to get in the pharmacy. You're going to get from your doctor's office. Ella, which is a prescription medication and plan B, which is now totally over the counter to any age uh, person, male or female. And so those two pills, the Ella and the plan B, they prevent ovulation. They prevent the egg from getting released from the ovary. They just delay it. They delay it long enough for the sperm to dissipate. So it doesn't have to, it's called the morning after pill. It doesn't have to be taken the morning after. You should take it as soon as you know after unprotected sex, or as soon as it's available after unprotected sex, because what it's doing is trying to delay ovulation, which is great. The downside to that is if you have already ovulated, this pill does nothing for you at all. all so right. you want to take it as soon as possible to try and get ahead of your body ovulating, because once ovulation's happened, it's just not effective and it's not going to do anything to an existing pregnancy. It's not going to terminate a pregnancy. It is only good for preventing ovulation. So the window to use that can sometimes be narrow and hard to predict. So we recommend people go ahead and take it. If you've had unprotected intercourse, even if like, let's say you're kind of towards the end of your cycle, most women aren't certain if they've ovulated. And if you're not certain, go on and take it. Um, Usually the benefit far exceeds the risk. So yeah, emergency is, kind of a tricky name, right? It's not always an emergency. Um, You know, uh, sometimes people end up having sex that weren't planning to have sex or their regular contraceptive method fails, or they started taking another medicine that caused their birth control to be ineffective and they didn't realize it. Um, There are a lot of things in there. (laughs) Life got in the way and you forgot to take a pill. I mean, come on, I forget stuff all the time. I can't imagine taking a pill every day. So this is sort of a, a backup method to your point. What's the window? Like, like, okay, so unprotected sex happens. I have access to this at, I, at a pharmacy over the counter. I also have Ella, which is prescription, which I, how much time do people have to take that first dose? Five days, but the sooner you take it, the better. So right. sperm live in the vagina for five days. So after five days, doesn't really matter if you take it or not, because the sperm are all gone anyway. But you have five days to take that pill and potentially delay ovulation. For plan B, we know data shows it definitely works better on day one, two, and three, works okay on day four and five. Ella works pretty good on all the way through day five, but both of them are limited 
in their ability to do anything after ovulation starts. Got to get them on board before ovulation. Taking them as soon as possible helps do that. And I, I know I'm sort of repeating myself, but so often people don't understand how emergency contraception works. They think that since you take it after sex, that it's doing something to the pregnancy that's already there. And it is not. It works just like birth control at limiting ovulation. It just doesn't allow the zygote or anything to sort of, because there's nothing to happen. So, okay, I'm going to ask this question because you brought it up earlier. Sometimes birth control pills cause nausea. So you take the first dose and you just throw up because it just did not work for you. Do you, do you take a second dose immediately? Do you wait the next day? Like, what do you, how do you fix that? Well, first, good news, the current products cause nausea in less than 10% of women. So when we started with emergency contraception, the Yazoot method that used birth control pills that had estrogen and progestin in them, people threw up all the time. And we gave anti-nausea meds when we gave out the emergency contraception because it was so common. Now, the just the progestin pill at the doses they're at, or uh, olaprystal acetate, which is an anti-progestin, that's what, what Ella is, those both of those options now that are made for emergency contraception and marketed have a very low incidence of nausea and vomiting. So it doesn't happen often. If it does happen, just go on and repeat the dose. If you can, if you have one available, you can go ahead and take it. Um, you know, as soon as you vomit it up, taking additional of these medications is not going to hurt you. So if you suspect you vomited it up, just go ahead and redose. Great. That's, I, I want to point that out because I want people to not think, oh my God, I just blew 50 bucks on something and it's, it's not useful now. Speaking of cost, is there a way, Is are there programs where there are coupons and things like that when people walk into the drugstores to pick up the over-the-counter one that maybe they can get it for reduced pricing? I don't know of any coupons. Um, right. It's pretty affordable online if you can order it in advance, like Amazon has it for 20 bucks. Um, if you can bill it through your insurance, and so if you, which in Georgia means if you can get a prescription for it, it can go through your insurance. Once pharmacists are able to prescribe, pharmacists could theoretically write the prescription. So you could just walk in, the pharmacist could write the prescription and sell it. Hopefully that's coming. Until then, if you get a prescription from a provider, so they could call your doctor's office and they could authorize it, for example, it. And it would be covered through your insurance. But I'm not aware of any other coupons or ways to decrease the cost of Plan B. I like I mean, your idea of having one sort of set aside. I know that I sound, I sound so pessimistic, but I, I don't I don't know. I like insurance on my cars. I tend to, you know, buy the home warranty. I tend to think ahead if something goes wrong. So spending getting on Amazon an online process and buying it and having it is probably a great idea too. I love that. The U.S. Select Practice Recommendations for Contraceptive Use, lots of words, basically for a document that tells you how to use contraception, recommends that if you use a method like condoms or something that tends to be less reliable, that you have um, emergency contraception on hand at home. And, you know, if you get the choice and you can get it in advance, Ella tends to work better than Plan B for women who are heavier and for a longer window. So if you can get the Ella, um, but plan B is a, a good alternative as well. And then the last thing that I kind of want to say about the differences between the two with plan B, it's a progestin. So you can start taking your progestin birth control immediately. Again, you can take a plan B and put on a pill, a patch, a ring or anything that day, because it's got the progestin in it. If you use Ella, it works a little bit better as an emergency contraceptive, but depending on where you are in 
on the individual. I'm not going to get into the weeds with that. You need to start probably about five days after the emergency contraception because it's an anti-progestin and then your birth control has progestin. So there could be a drug interaction between the two. So take a point, plan B straight to birth control. Ella, usually you got to wait five days before you get back on your birth control. I, I, I'm going to tell you now, if I was responsible for taking a pill every day to stop our family from having children, I'm telling you, we'd probably be the Waltons because it's so complicated, but you've done such a wonderful job summarizing what's out there, giving the options, talking about access to care, um, even discussing a little bit about the backup plan or emergency contraception, and hopefully the access points will grow as pharmacists are really involved in that. Um, but I have to ask, we've covered a lot. Can you leave the audience with just three tips from our conversation where if they tuned in for the last five minutes of this, that it would really give them some ideas or thoughts about contraception or birth control? Yes, I can totally do that, Tim. Perfect. So first, first, use the right contraceptive for your body and situation because it puts you in control. It allows you to optimize your relationships, your education, your finances, and your health before welcoming your baby. There is a birth con- second. There's a birth control method out there for everybody, but you've got to ask questions to find out which method has the contraceptive and non-contraceptive benefits. They're going to work best for you and your situation. So probably both internet research at home, resources like Bedsider and the CDC are great, but also talking with your prescriber or your provider. And then third, emergency contraception is a great resource when things don't go as planned. If you're going to use it, take it as soon as possible after sex and keep it on hand if you can. I like those a lot. The the one thing that I also hear a lot is talk to your friends about what they use and get insight as well. I know it's not really clinical, but for people who live in rural areas and can't always get to somewhere, are those who are just, I don't know, maybe they don't have access to everything that we we think people do. Um, I just want to make sure people feel comfortable when they go and ask for something and this podcast, I hope, will help people understand the different options. Dr. Stone, I know you've been doing this a long time. Your passion for it certainly shines through. I know you've been working with the state of Georgia to look at those access points for pharmacists. So we want to thank you for all that you're doing. And I want to say thank you for coming on and spending time today for doing this farmcast for the community. Thanks, Tim. It has been lovely to be here. And I hope that the podcast is, you know, helpful for somebody out there in the listening world. Wonderful. Thanks so much. For everyone out there, thanks for listening in to Farmcast for the Community, sponsored by the University of Georgia's College of Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Brown. We're here every month trying to bring you new and interesting topics that I hope are timely, but also help you in your daily lives or people in your daily lives. Don't forget to spread the word. Talk about the podcast. If it doesn't relate to you, then it maybe relates to one of your family members or someone you know. Have them tune in. See you next month and go in good health.